For all you listening out there, all you listening out there, I think we're just going to, we're going to do the Spotify or not Spotify. I already screwed up Skype song. Let's start over. The intro song. Hey, I know that guy over there. Hey, we're Skyping. We're Skyping. Yeah. Hey, I think I know who you are, though. I think your name is Eric. That's right. And you are Dan. I am Dan. And we're each other, ladies and gentlemen. Wow. I think I'm going to start using that as sort of this <laughs> intro. Because then when we actually become famous and rich, uh-huh. yeah. and we actually have like... Um, I like where this is going. <laughs> we actually have, um, you know, like merch. Oh, uh, yeah. That could be like our catchphrase. We're each other. Wow. That's nice. It is, it, yeah. It's sweet. <laughs> Yeah, it's really, really, it's heartwarming, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Heart, heartwarming, like as heart, it were. <laughs> heartwarming. <laughs> heartwarming. Uh, Dude, that 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 is a title of anything. I'm full of them. Just, yeah, heart, just let me talk and write it down. That's it. Heartworms are, like, <laughs> weird. Like, I never, have, I mean, are they actual worms that get inside, like, animals? Yeah. They're gross. Okay. <laughs> They're I, like, have you ever actually seen oh, one? Oh, I mean, just pictures. Yeah. That, I mean, I don't remember. There's a lot of things that I don't remember from when I was a kid that I saw out on, like, the farm that I, I'm sure I've just blocked completely. Like, just gross animal stuff, you know? I didn't grow up on a farm, but my cousins did, and so I spent a lot of time there. But Gotcha, yeah. I Same here. I, uh, I grew up... Uh, in muscatine uh in the town Mm -hmm. but i had a lot of um like basically all the all the males in my family were either farmers or military men Mm. and so like i grew up being kind of like me and like my other cousin kevin who you probably remember he was the bassist of dr minimus kevin and i were we were kind of like the two outcasts of the family i think sort Mm -hmm. of uh, I don't know. Maybe nobody else saw it that way, but I saw it that way. Yeah. Um, and so like, basically like, you know, I was always met every holiday season with like my step grandpa, mm-hmm. you know, like, when are you going to play football, Danny? <laughs> you know, like, I mean, like people like in the family, they thought I was weird because I wasn't like playing football right. because really, of my size. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> like, and that was the only reason that, you know, they thought I should be playing football because mm-hmm. of my size. And I was like, well, what are you going to do? You know, <laughs> you're too and goddamn big like, to do anything, but play yeah, football. Exactly. That's how it was for me too. For real. And I love how, I love how it's like, you're too goddamn big to not be playing football. It's like, you're too damn big to do anything, but it's like, you want me to actually get on a field and like run like, no, yeah. that just wasn't going to happen in like high school. You know, I played up uh, through middle school. Uh, and it, it was, it was okay. It, it sucked because I was big. So the people that I went up against were really big people. Like, and, and I was in wrestling as well. And it was like, I was like this little chub, you know, like 185 pounds of just little middle school chub versus like this guy that basically was a senior in high school, but was still in eighth grade. 
you know, that kind of thing. Cause our weights were comparable, you know? Yeah. And so I just got, um, beat up a lot in sports. <laughs> and yeah. I just wasn't good at it. I, I tried, but didn't take as it were. I just, I remember like coaches were just mean growing up. Yeah. Like I remember like <laughs> I, uh, went out for uh baseball when I was like in I second or third grade or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, like this big f- ball, well, it's not big, you know, a small baseball, but small compared to like a basketball, mm-hmm. you know, but it's being thrown, you know, at top speed basically. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm sitting there with the glove, like covering my face, yeah. <laughs> you know, cause I don't want it to hit my face. And I remember the coach like yelled at me and I was like, I don't give a good goddamn if it hits your face. I just want you to catch the ball. Jeez, <laughs> like, nice. Actually said that to like a second grader, you know. <laughs> and then my parents were like, they 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 were like upset at me for quitting. Like mm-hmm. they didn't understand why I wanted to quit baseball. Yeah. I just was not a sports dude like at all. No. You know, growing up, and uh, it was hard being like this size. Mm-hmm. And uh, as you said, Eric, I know you can relate. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, it's hard being this size, being like a big kid that's not into sports in a small town. Yeah, for sure. I mean, because everybody wants you to be that. Mm-hmm. It's it. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Uh, and that actually uh, segues com- <laughs> uh, very, very good into like this thing that I've been thinking about lately. Hmm. And that's the concept of school and how strange the concept of school overall really is. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Just how... Um, Okay. I don't know why this occurred to me the other day when I was driving in my vehicle, but isn't it strange that we are forced to basically go into this, I don't know, what better way to describe it than institution for like 13 years of our lives. Mm -hmm. And that's literally the only existence we know in those 13 years. Mm -hmm. And then we're just expected to like leave that. Yeah. And figure it out from there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, it, I, I think so the leaving weird. part is sort of the weird part. I mean, school in essence is, is sort of weird, but I don't know of a better way to do it, you know? But then, yeah, when you graduate, you're just kind of like dumped, you know, that's how, that's actually how I felt after graduation. I was like lost. I was like, well, I don't know what to do. All my friends were at that place and all of the things I did and my social life, (laughs) I didn't study or do well in school, but I had a lot of fun, you know? And then all of a sudden it was just like, Oh my God, what do I do with my life? You know? But yeah. Yeah. It is weird for sure. Well, and it's just, it's one of those things where it's like, they build you up for almost this like idea that, you know, you're going to go to college mm-hmm. and you're going to uh, get this wonderful job, mm-hmm. you know, from college. And it's like, the reality is, is that most of the people that I know that went to college, uh, they ended up in debt mm-hmm. and miserable without the job that they went to school for. Yeah. I mean, that's just, that seems to be the reality. And I, I'm not knocking anybody who goes to college because I, wish that I would have gone to college mm-hmm. um, or I would have stuck with it. I actually did go to college mm-hmm. for a semester and a half, mm-hmm. but I goofed off 
and dropped yeah. out. <laughs> um, and uh, anyway, like I just uh, I think that's interesting. Like when you think about it's like this whole like concept of school, mm-hmm. like it's it's interesting for 13 years it doesn't seem like it's ever going to end it seems like that's your world mm-hmm. like you're going to be just like hanging out in your room with your friends at four o'clock in the afternoon after every school day mm-hmm. you'll have weekends off you'll have christmas vacation and you'll have summers off yeah and that it just seems like that's going to be like your existence and then all of a sudden you're 18 years old mm-hmm. and it's like Get out of here. <laughs> beat it, you bum. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, beat it, you bum. I wish that they would talk to kids like that. I, that's exactly how I remember high school. I, don't... <laughs> <laughs> I do remember there were some teachers that definitely had a very gravelly yeah. tone to their voice. <laughs> and don't come like back. That's what they said as, <laughs> don't as, as I walked across the stage to get my diploma. And you got and they're, they're like kicking you out literally out yeah. the door. Yeah. Like you're flying onto the ground. It wasn't like, that you know. different than that for real. My experience. <laughs> they wanted me gone. I was a very poor student. But I, I, I think of like, um, this is going to be a weird random, uh, I guess, comparison. But you remember um, Old Dirty Bastard? Yeah. ODB? Mm-hmm. From, from high school? Oh, from the Wu-Tang Clan. Yeah. <laughs> from high school. <laughs> I thought you were talking about my art teacher. No, well, there were art teachers that were very, very crude. No names. At Muscatine High School. <laughs> I think we already mentioned his name. What? No. I think in a previous episode, I think we did mention his name. <laughs> I, I think so. Well, Or damn. maybe we talked, may, maybe it wasn't like on the actual <laughs> podcast. Maybe it was one of there, our There's um, your off- extra content, y'all. Yeah, Here, there's your extra content, content that you won't You'll ever find hear. Out the art <laughs> teacher's name. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the art teacher's name. Um, those of you like Sean Reed knows exact would know exactly who we're talking about. Yeah, from last week. Which, by the way, if you haven't listened to that episode, I don't know what is wrong with you. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was a nice conversation we had with Sean. It was very, it was great, very, very fun. Yeah, but, but no, ODB. Okay, so like, sorry. <laughs> yeah, ODB. That's what I was. That's what yeah. I was getting. Okay, so. Uh, that whole get out of here sort of thing that I just did. Right. There's actually this video and I've never seen this video, but they always used to show a clip of um, whenever they would talk about ODB. On oh, and he shoplifts the shoes. Show, well, and he, but he's like, <laughs> no, oh. he, um, there's actually a song where he actually raps that he's like, get out of here. Like, you know, cause you know, ODB was a wild man. Oh yeah. Dude. Rest in peace to the man because uh, <laughs> he did put out two very, very uh, good rap records. Oh, yeah. Uh, They're great. <laughs> the Wu-Tang Clan were so like, when you think about it, the Wu-Tang Clan was weird. Yeah, I've cool. listened to a lot more of like um, the not specifically Wu-Tang releases. So Yeah, me too. Like the solo, like RZA as Bobby Digital yeah. and things like that. And Gravediggers especially. Yeah, yeah Gravediggers, though, I think that actually predated Wu-Tang, didn't it? Oh, I don't know. I guess I don't know about all that. I, I well, just you know, know RZA same, was... Some of the same people. R- so. RZA actually put out a solo record in, like, the early 90s under the name Pr- Prince Rakim. Hmm. And uh, th- that was, like, total, like, 90s, like, late 80s, early 90s sort of rap. Hmm. Like, 
R and B kind of almost. Wow. Like, and the, that was that that predated Wu Tang Clan. I wonder if that Gravediggers record did predate I predate Wu Tang Clan. Know. Yeah, because six feet I, deep. You know, I kind of just wonder um, when that came out if uh, RZA was so. doing that before Enter the Thirty Six Chambers. I don't know about before, but I just looked it up and uh, Six Feet Deep was in 94 and Enter the Wu-Tang was 1993. Okay, so it didn't predate. But, uh, I mean, who knows if they were working on that before, you know, I don't know. Yeah, they probably were, I'm sure. I mean, both of those guys, I mean, Prince Paul was in that too, so... Uh, you know, I'm sure that those guys are always working on something. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, it looks like the group was formed in 94 grave diggers. So, okay. Yeah. So that, so that was grave diggers. That means basically it was like the first Wu Tang side project. Yeah, pretty much. So, okay. And I, I adore it. Six feet deep is seriously one of my favorite records ever. I just, yeah, you mentioned that before it is. Yeah. It's in my top five hip hop records. Easy. I don't even know what comes before it, to be honest. I just have to give myself some uh, buffering room there. So if I'm ever like the chronic's the best, you know, then I don't have to <laughs> defend myself against my other hyperbolic statement, you know. Well, that's one of those things where like, okay, when I'm discussing like well, I guess I've never really discussed like top MCs or favorite MCs mm-hmm. or whatever with true hip-hop heads mm, mm-hmm. it's usually with just like my friends you know who understand where i come from but right. yeah like my picks like probably would just get shot down you know what i mean like because hmm. uh you know like my favorite rappers are not mainstream at all mm-hmm. you know right like maybe maybe i'd throw somebody in there like maybe like chuck d or something mm-hmm. you know but that would really or maybe the beastie boys yeah which i feel like the beastie boys are not really thought of in the hip hop community as like really great MCs, mm-hmm. like more, more just for their musical contributions, which I would actually kind of disagree with that. I, I think beastie boys are actually really great. Like we're all, we're just always really great rappers. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. like MCs, you know, but I guess it just depends on taste. Yeah. Um, for sure. All right, well, so we we covered a lot in those fifteen minutes. Gra- <laughs> Grave diggers, Wu Tang Clan, school, yes, football, football. <laughs> there was all kinds of like action, yeah, at the beginning of this episode. Yeah, I uh, I do have to say while we're talking about sports because I doubt it's going to come up again. At least I hope not. <laughs> um, I will well, say well, that we can turn this into a sports <laughs> no, I don't want to talk about sports. But I will say that a combination of two things basically saved my life in eighth grade. So one was that um, I got into the Misfits because of Cliff Burton's shirts and that Metallica covered them on their Garage Days Revisited EP. Oh, sure. sure. And yes. I joined wrestling. The result of, or I joined the wrestling team. I had wrestled previously, but wrestling season came up and I joined. And the reason those two things matter is because before that, um, again, I won't say any names, but I hung out with all the headbanger 
people, um, kind of the Heshers, I guess. And one of the older Heshers, actually two of the older Heshers in the group lived across the street from my middle school. Again, I'm not going to, I'm going to try to keep this as anonymous as I can. And so we would stand on their porch and smoke cigarettes, uh, before school started. And it was like directly across, like the teachers stood at the middle school and just watched us smoke and listen to heavy metal. (laughs) Um, and so anyway, uh, that was kind of my whole gig. I was just like this little metal head dude and like a juvenile delinquent and pretty much all my friends were too. Um, but anyway, one day I came to the porch before school and I told everyone like, Hey, you guys got to, well, first off I joined wrestling and they made me cut my hair. All right. So I had short hair. (laughs) Actually, it was kind of like a skater bowl cut, which is probably even worse. Um, so I, I I walk up to my group of headbanger friends and I'm got this short hair and I'm like, Hey, you guys should listen to the misfits. And they're like, what? Misfits are punk. That's stupid. We only listen to metal. (laughs) And I was like, but Cliff Burton and Metallica were like, we don't care. The Misfits suck or whatever. And like, basically, they did not let me hang out anymore. They were just like, get out of here, you you punk. Yeah. And I had short hair. Right. And so because of that, though, like I got way into like skate punk and other like thrash, but not in a metal way, but in a fun way skateboarding way or whatever and like mm-hmm. i had to make basically new friends that were not heavy metal dope smokers and they were more like skateboarding dope smokers <laughs> no just <laughs> kidding uh but anyway like i kind of look back at that moment where they were like get out of here you know and kicked me off the porch as like one of the best moments of my life at right, <laughs> right at that moment, I was really bummed. Obviously, I just lost like all my friends for really stupid reasons. And but you know, within a couple months, it was like I had all these new friends, and I was being exposed to like all this really great underground music and punk rock, and it it really just kind of exploded my whole worldview being kicked off that porch. So. I just wanted to say thanks to wrestling <laughs> and thanks to the misfits, you know, that's, uh, that's hilarious, Eric, that, um, that would, only you would have like that story to tell that you were proud to get kicked off of a porch because of the misfits. That's awesome. Well, I wasn't proud I mean, I, at the I moment. Could... I was totally bummed. Yeah, you were bummed at the, but now, now you're calling it the best time of I, your I, life. Or the it, best it was a moment big moment, life. yeah, and it it changed I mean, like, everything. <laughs> that's awesome. I I don't know if I can really like think of anything to top that, like <laughs> with any of my experiences in high school. I, my experiences in high school involved, I don't know. Uh, I guess I could tell you about a friend who will remain anonymous. <laughs> that um found out that he was able to you remember all sport the drink yeah there used to be an all sport machine down at the riverfront Mm -hmm. by the boat club and i remember uh he found out that there was a a way that he was able to stick his arm up and just grab him nice 
And we took like 70 of them to my sister's house (laughs) and put it in her, in her uh, fridge. Mm -hmm. And uh, she woke up. She's like, what the hell? Where did all these come from? (laughs) And uh, it was like my first car. It was a Chevy Citation. Nice. And I remember like, uh, like it was the back was so loaded with this stuff that it actually was like, (laughs) like my car was dragging like Uh, because of it from the riverfront to my sister's house. Man. Oh, nice. man. And uh, I guess I was kind of proud of that moment in my life. And now you're going to get busted. Oh, boy. Yeah, they've been waiting all these years for someone. Oh, I'm sure they have. <laughs> for someone to what confess. What happened to all? So that's why All Sport went yep, out of business. The great All Sport caper of Musketeer. The great All Sport caper. <laughs> so now I'm like, oh, man, I'm kind of. Uh, yeah. I was going to call this uh, episode the concept of school. Now I think I may have to call it the great All Sport caper. <laughs> <laughs> well, you better oh, do it man. quick before they take you to jail. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Yes. Oh, boy. Hey, it wasn't me who stole them. Yeah. It was the anonymous Prove guy. It. Prove it. Yeah. It was the guy I don't even know anymore. <laughs> he doesn't exist. Maybe. Sure he doesn't. Sure he doesn't. So, um, All right. That uh, segues somehow into our records. <laughs> yeah. And I got to tell you guys, this one is going to be a little uh, different in that we actually reviewed a record, a piece last week, but we cut that section out due to time so that we could have a little bit more time with Sean Reed. And so what the first review you're going to hear is actually from last week. And that is going to happen right now. Enjoy. Okay, so do we even talk about records anymore on here? Um, nope, just food and uh, Johnny Pop Mar. culture gossip. Yeah. Gossip. That's what's going on. Yeah, we're gossiping. Did you hear what happened to them? Did you, did you hear about the Smiths? They're the most important band. No, wait, I got to do it in my beef cast voice. Did you hear about the Smiths? They're the most important band in the universe. Um, oh, the Smiths from that uh, <laughs> camping place. They're so good, I'm going to hold a gun to someone's head and make them play it all night. What do you think? <laughs> They're so good, I'm going to name my uh, RV park after them. No. <laughs> well, at least the guitarist, his last yeah. name anyway. It oh ain't at the Ainsworth Corners. Okay, yep. All right, let's... <laughs> Um, uh, before Sean decides he doesn't want to be on our program. Right. Um, <laughs> so, um, anyway, we're for this week, we're each only going to do one record. Um, so that's all you get to hear us blab yeah. about. Um, so I, I, who goes first with their pick? Uh, you can go. Okay. All so right. the one album that I uh, picked was the second album from Diggable Planets called Blowout Comb. Um, Diggable Planets, of course, they were known in the early 90s. I'm going to say like 92 or maybe 93 Mm -hmm. for that big hit, Cool Like That, which was really awesome. I mean, if you were watching, uh, if you were around my age or my age, um, if you were watching MTV at that time, you couldn't escape it. Cause they were constantly playing it. I mean, it was, it was a big hit around that time. And I just remember it had that really jazzy sort of, it was almost like 
beatnik rap or something. Mm-hmm. It was really, really cool. And um, that first album called Reach In, and it actually has a longer title than that. Because mm-hmm. it's like Reach In and then something in parentheses. I don't remember. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was pretty good. It was a pretty good record. Um, you know, there were some some things about it that were very um, just kind of... Um, I guess samey all the way through. Mm-hmm. Um, cool like that was probably the best track on there. Um, I I would say I would venture to guess that's the reason why it was such a big hit uh, mm-hmm. was because it was the one standout track on the record. Um, but um, then they put out their second record in uh, I think the following year. Uh, I don't remember if the first one came out in ninety two or ninety three, but. I think it was like 94 when blowout comb came. And for some reason it just fell below everyone's radar. Um, and it just kind of became like, uh, a, a new example of, um, people just not caring. Like, I think, um, everybody kind of was stoked on this new style that kind of, you know, um, that they were kind of developing. And I would, I would say that along with some, somebody like tribe called quest day law, the whole native tongues, there was kind of this like jazz rap sort of conscious scene kind of brewing up. Um, but you know, 94, I mean, had to have been a tough year to, uh, be that kind of group in hip hop because, Mm -hmm. I mean, that this is when gangster rap became like the newest cool thing. And so the airwaves in terms of rap was obviously being taken over by Dre and Snoop were the biggest examples. But, you know, Ice Cube, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and then also Wu-Tang Clan came and just completely changed the whole landscape of hip hop um, around that time. So Diggable Planets. You know, this was also kind of the start of, you know, those, the conscious rap was kind of de-escalating in uh, popularity a little bit. And so, um, I think that blowout comb, I think this was just a victim of that. I mean, honestly, but it is such a good record. It is worlds above the first record. I mean, there's like all kinds of just really cool samples. Um, and it's just really, you know, it's got that sort of jazzy thing, but it's a little more, I don't know. There's, there's like a, a darker element to it in terms of just sound and also a way more progressive element to it. I can see why in hindsight, why it didn't really catch on because I think it was a little too forward thinking um, because I mean, th- there was a lot of stuff on this record that I think was kind of ahead of its time in terms of production. I mean, a couple of the songs were like seven minutes long and just really there were, it tackled a lot of issues, social issues and justice and things like that. But the, the production and sampling very creative and I would even venture to say that a lot of it was kind of the start of abstract rap, which I think also day law and tribe, um, and maybe even something like outcast later on, uh, they could all kind of be attributed to that as well. Um, but I think 
this was just a lost classic that just, unfortunately, um, it was just a lost relic of its time. And it's really fantastic. And from beginning to end, I mean, I hear a lot of, a lot of, um, there's like one, one transition in one of the tracks, like, I think it's like track four where it cuts off. And then there's like this spy movie kind of chase theme going on. Mm -hmm. And I kid you not, it is directly, it almost sounds like it's directly from a, an MF doom record that came out like 15 years later. Mm -hmm. Cause it's totally that kind of aesthetic, that total, that total thing, the, the cutting of it, the timing and everything it's totally what doom did on like his production in a lot of ways. And it's not just doom. It's, you know, pretty much any like underground, uh, backpack, whatever you want to call it, boom, bap, any of that stuff. Um, I'm sure that there were a lot of heads as they call them. That was, uh, really influenced by this record mm -hmm. and, uh, probably were also just as, um, I, I guess like just as puzzled, but also at the same time understood why this record flew under the radar at the time it came out. It's mm -hmm. in my opinion, it's just a really brilliant record. What did you think, Eric? Yeah. Um, I had never heard this. Um, and it's for all the reasons that you already stated, but uh, just in my experience, yeah, it was like, all the um, kind of posy rap sort of like um, cross colors and things like that. Like it, it had its time and it was pretty much like when it really popped, I would guess was maybe like 89 or 90 through 93. And then it just, it just died. It just mm -hmm. was over. Like, there was a time in 1992, uh, 93, where, like, I <clears throat> I, didn't, I didn't listen to a lot of De La Soul and um, uh, Disposable Heroes and stuff that would maybe be considered similar. Um, and, yeah, but I did listen to Diggable Planets and us three and arrested development um things like that i didn't know about native tongues or anything like that it was it was a time where it was hard to find that stuff out like you had to read magazines or get catalogs in the mail or see who else is on the labels and stuff like absolutely. that. absolutely so i picked and chosen what i could find and uh reach in i definitely listened to a lot like a lot, a lot. I would say for, yeah, three or four months of my life, that was like my identity. It's like if it was somehow urban and hippie-ish, like I was into it. I don't know what happened. But um, but then, yeah, pretty much like 93 comes along, the chronic hits, um, a different world goes off the air, you know, like. Yeah, yeah. Um, living colors not on anymore i like, never i never i never thought of that that's yeah it's so all weird how that like all collapsed. that all coincided with that with that culture yeah yeah and it was just gone so um with that being said yeah reaching i really enjoyed it and um i thought it was cool 
I didn't know a lot about rap or hip hop. And so to me, this felt different than anything else I had ever heard. Like it was, I don't know. It was, it was trying really hard to be like smooth and relaxed and cool and laid back and also like conscious, you know, like conscientious of um, the environment and the culture and everything like that. And so I liked it at the time. Uh, This one I had never heard, Um, but it definitely is the stronger of the two. Like I, it's gotta be really hard to be like the group or the band or the artist that puts out the record one year after everything has collapsed. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Like maybe it was like, uh, the last poison album or something, you know, like it, it, it was over, but that's all you got. And so you have to put it out. And so, or like the, I don't know the last, like, I guess Creed went on for a long time, but like the last grunge album or whatever, you know, like it's gotta be hard to put something out that you believe in and think is really good. And it is really good, but it's just the time has passed, you know? Yeah. Like I'm sure everyone has felt that everyone who makes music has felt that way. You know, like absolutely. I'm sure the Almond Brothers were like, well, "What the fuck am I supposed to do now?" When they saw Devo, you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. And so I think that's a big part of this. I think that they, if if interest would have kept up, they would have kept growing and evolving, and and making more interesting things because this is way more interesting. They're not acting like they're in a jazz club anymore. Like they're talking about their actual culture and their environment, the people around them, the stuff that they're doing, they get almost braggadocious, which they definitely purposefully avoided on the first record. And you know, yes, because they're not delivering rhymes that would be considered rap by most anyone. Like at the time, they're not talking about cars or money. They don't cuss. They don't use the N word. Like it's very on purpose the way they presented themselves on reaching. And then on this one, I think they start to expand and open up a little bit to letting some of that influence in, which is good. I mean, I think it, it would be necessary to continue. Um, you know, if they wanted to continue doing this, they were going to have to let other things in. You can't just, um, I don't know, be so self-aware and self-conscious all the time, you know, at some point you have to be a little darker or a little funnier or uh, just let your guard down a little bit. So, yeah. um, But yeah, the production is really cool. Um, Like you said, it is the, the cut up techniques of it, the editing, just the way things are presented. They weren't that interested in putting out a radio hit on this. I don't think that they range from, one minute to seven minutes you know it's just like uh and it's it overall yeah i really enjoyed it i'm glad you picked it um because i never honestly ever would have listened to it it's just it's one of those things i would have just thought oh yeah uh, diggable planets i know exactly what they do what they sound like and i don't really need to hear another record by them but yeah in reality it's 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 really good it's pretty i mean i i listened through it once i think i got the gist of it so but yeah, the production on it's really, really cool. So yeah, I'm glad and you it, picked it. In the tradition of um, 
like I would, I would kind of compare this to a certain extent to like the transition that the Beastie Boys made from License to Ill to Paul's Boutique. Yeah, um, I can see that. Of course, the huge difference is the Beastie Boys continued on in popularity and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, um, uh, in the tradition of like, like Paul's Boutique was very poorly received when it first mm-hmm. came out. I don't remember this because I was nine years old. Yeah, it's so weird for for you know to think about that it's so weird because now it's just hailed as a master it's like a critic's choice now you know and um everyone now thinks it's better than license tale yeah um and it is in my opinion but like this record just kind of sat you know, in used bins mm-hmm. for, I don't know, probably 20 years at this point. Oh, sure. And it just recently got reissued on vinyl. And it's, hmm. it's, it's starting to see like a, uh, it's cult following seems to be rising. Nice. So I think, um, sometimes it just takes people forever to just, you know, experience the, um, brilliant nature of, things and i think this is just one of those examples yeah for sure so um now on to a different kind of hip-hop yeah both of our choices (laughs) are hip-hop this week um we did we did hip-hop this week yeah uh not on purpose we don't discuss it we just tell each other what we're gonna what the other person needs to listen to to get ready for the show it's kind of the funnest part of doing this. Yeah. I, think, is like, I, I love, I love it's like when you get the list of records you have to listen to, you're like, what the fuck? Or awesome. <laughs> or, Oh yeah. man, you know, but like, usually it's fun to hear those things. Even if it's something you don't think you're going to be looking forward to, it's fun to, to sort of be forced to do it. I think it's cool. So yes, I guess as the listener, you're lucky because you don't actually have to. If I say, I don't know, it was all right. Like you don't have to listen to it. Yep. So, yep. But if I say it's one of the best things I've ever heard, you still don't have to listen to it. So, <laughs> you know, um, but this next one is one of the best things I've ever heard. No, it's uh, it is pretty good, though. Uh, it's called Malibu Ken, uh, like the Barbie. And Malibu Ken is a project with Tobacco, who I bring up all the time. Uh, he um, is in Black Moth Super Rainbow. Um, honestly, once you start listening to to Tobacco stuff, you just you know it's Tobacco like instantly, because he only ever uses one synth, uh, uses the same vocoder on everything. Everything sounds the same. Uh, but in a really fun, cool way. Uh, I think he does more with less than just about any electronic artist I know of. Um, but yeah, so uh, it's uh, Tobacco and Aesop Rock is rapping over it. And I think it's amazing. I think if you're a fan of Aesop Rock or Tobacco, you're you're going to like this a lot. Like, it doesn't... it. Neither of them compromise what they do to be working on this together. This is the two of them working alongside each other to create something, you know, not giving up anything that they do. Um, And whereas Tobacco has multiple projects and his project called Tobacco does lean more towards hip hop than Black Moth Super Rainbow, but it never fully goes into having 
to be hip hop. This this project I think does force Tobacco a little bit to have to keep things together or at least keep them in parts, segments, sections. Um, you know the same number of stanzas for a verse and a chorus and things like that. Song structure he sort of has to pay attention to. So um, I think it's really cool and I think it's laid back and strange and at moments they don't seem to be working that well together and then other moments it just syncs up perfectly and it's like no other hip hop you've heard probably um, the one track on it that I listened to I have listened to probably I don't even know 10, 15 times this past week it's called Acid King and it's it is one of the strangest hip hop rap songs that I have ever heard in my life. Basically, Aesop Rock tells us a story and it, it seems to be about some uh, loser druggie in a town and he also is way into Satan and then he steals some drugs and then he kills a kid with like this uh, coven of other satanic losers and it it sound, it's like watching a true crime documentary but it's only like he tells you the whole thing in like two and a half minutes straight of rapping with no break. And it's totally gives me chills. It's one of the craziest hip hop songs I've ever heard. Anyway, the rest of it all is just sick. I love how Aesop Rock uses terminology that you think only you and your friends used when you were kids. Like he really draws you in and makes you feel <clears throat> like, you know him a little bit like the song suicide big gulp like i didn't know other people called mixing a bunch of sodas together a suicide i thought me and my friends made that up because we were really edgy or something but no i know that other people do now too <laughs> so anyway uh tobacco uh aesop rock i think it's amazing and yeah what do you think dan um <clears throat> well i'm i'm coming at this from a little bit more of a different angle, I think, um, because, um, not because I don't think it's amazing because I do, but I, I would suspect and correct me if I'm wrong here, Eric, you probably before hearing this record would say you were more of a tobacco fan mm -hmm. than you were an Aesop rock fan. Is that, is that fair to say? Oh, wait, I think you're cutting out. I didn't, I didn't catch all that, Dan. Sorry. Uh, can you hear me now? Uh, yeah. Can you hear, can you hear, can you hear me now? Yeah. Okay. Oh, sorry. We had some audio problems there. Um, yep. <laughs> I, I would suspect that you're probably more of a, um, tobacco fan than an Aesop rock fan before yeah. you heard this, right? Yep. See now that's wh where I'm coming at it from a different angle. I'm 100% hands down more of an Aesop rock fan mm -hmm. than a tobacco fan. Not that I don't think tobacco's amazing because I heard his record fucked up friends and I love it, but I've been an mm -hmm. Aesop rock fan. And since, uh, I don't know the early two thousands with his album labor days. Mm -hmm. And so hearing him do something like this, um, it's, it was so like, cool because it's 
kind of out of the box of something you normally hear Aesop Rock mm-hmm. doing. But at the same time, when you talk about the song Acid King mm-hmm. and you talk about like the um, uh, lyrics kind of almost sounding like a, like an Unsolved Mysteries episode right. or something. Yeah, totally. um, he's, I mean, that's the kind of aesthetic that really is kind of all over like Aesop Rock's rhyming oh, okay. delivery. Cool. Um, I mean, he kind of, he has this like weird, like I've always said that his, um, his rhyme style was always like, it, it almost sounded like he was writing novels. Hmm. Like his songs were like novels, you I know, see. or something. I mean, yeah. they're just, they're crazy. And as a matter of fact, they're so crazy that somebody did a, um, top 100 most lyrical rappers of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, Aesop rock won by a huge margin. Wow. It was like, it was like some sort of like study that somebody did where like, uh, it was like how many syllables or something like that. I don't remember the exact, but it was like literally like number two was like, I don't know. I'm I'm just throwing out a random number. I don't know the actual details, but like number two was like, okay, he rhymes 1,602 syllables in whatever, you know what I mean? Hmm. And Aesop rock was like 7,000 or something. Like wow. it was just like, it was just like he, he like won as being like the most lyrical rapper. And that actually was kind of what brought Aesop rock some exposure because uh, people um, were like, you know, like mainstream rap fans were like, who, who the hell's Aesop rock? Hmm. <laughs> you know, like, cause you know, he's always been underground, yeah, you know, for sure. And, um, so anyway, like, uh, yeah, I think this is just another brilliant Aesop rock collaboration. He's done collaborations with people before there's mm-hmm. this other rapper named homeboy Sandman mm-hmm. who has kind of a similar abstract kind of weird style, hmm. And, um, yeah, it, it's brilliant. And tobacco, as you said, one of the things that I do like about it is that sometimes it almost is kind of getting close to sounding like, okay, yeah, these two aren't really meshing. Uh, they're not meshing well mm-hmm. together. You know what I mean? Yeah. But then, then all of a sudden something happens and Aesop rock drops a rhyme and then tobacco switches up the beat mm-hmm. and it totally makes sense right while not making sense at the same time mm-hmm. but that's kind of aesop rock like in a nutshell mm-hmm. um i don't know if you know this but aesop rock actually produces most of his own solo records mm. and i hear a lot of especially on like the later the more recent aesop rock records mm-hmm. um i hear I think he's been inspired by tobacco to er, to a certain extent. Oh yeah. Because I hear a lot of that same type of thing going on where it's like this weird chaotic sort of like crashing like the lyrics in the production are crashing into each other. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it just sounds like it's going to go up in flames. Right. But then it's just like it just ends up working out at the end. And yeah, Aesop Rock is killer tobacco is killer the production works really well i love it nice and i've heard that i've heard this record before oh, okay cool. um pretty much every time aesop rock drops something i'm usually listening to it gotcha uh 
if you have you heard any other Aesop Rock albums, um, Eric? I heard. Oh, shoot. Um, I'm not. I don't remember. It was. Yes, I had a very old record on a CDR. That's how old it was. Okay. <laughs> um. Okay. So probably one of his first records i would guess right um i would recommend checking out like labor days first of all um which in my opinion is one of his classic i think records. that might be the one i had labor day okay yeah um and, and then bazooka also tooth. yeah bazooka tooth yeah bazooka tooth was kind of like his first record that he did his own production on okay. i think and he just got better as time went on he's now on rhyme sayers which is slug from atmospheres label hmm. and the last two re- solo records he put mm-hmm. out um the um uh the impossible kid mm-hmm. and uh oh man i'm blanking what the new one what the more recent one is um like- spirit world field guide both of those are amazing cool. Eric. and i think if you like this record you'll love those all records. right i'll check them out for sure yeah, we're back. <laughs> oh, man, we were so stupid back then. I can't believe yeah, that. I know. I can't uh, believe that, dude. God, Gee, we a lot so has naive. changed. <laughs> a, lot, a lot has changed. My musical tastes and everything. Oh, yeah. I would not review those records the same now. <laughs> no, I mean, I I can't believe what I listened to back then. Ugh. Anyway, let's get to these new good records. <laughs> it's embarrassing. Embarrassing. Uh, no, those were so really who, fun records, actually. <laughs> I remember. What's really funny is that um, I don't know who goes next. <laughs> oh, I don't either. Go for it. You want to just go, go ahead and you want to roll dice, maybe? Or... <laughs> That's it. <good. laughs> I could just lie, though. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's true. That's what we should start doing is we should start rolling dice on this podcast it was heads <laughs> okay cool so you go right. first <laughs> so i'll go first so the next record or first record depending on who you ask and how you want to uh depending <laughs> on where this. you exist in time yeah where you exist in time because there are all different kinds of dimensions that we just unlocked with this episode oh, yeah. um I'm going to start off with uh, Cave In Until Your Heart Stops. Nice. This is a uh, metal record by a kind of a non-metal band, and I'll explain this. Uh, So Cave In were one of my favorite bands uh, back in like the late 90s, more like early 2000s. And they started out as a metalcore band, basically. Um... They uh, recorded a bunch of seven inches in like the mid nineties. And um, then they released a compilation album of all of those singles uh, called Beyond Hypothermia, which I think came out in 97. And they followed that compilation up with their uh, official debut album, which is this one called Until Your Heart Stops. Now, let me preface by saying for those of you who are unfamiliar with Caven, they then went on to make the biggest musical transition. I think I've ever heard a band do um, because they only remained pretty much this intense and this heavy f- 
um, for those albums. And then they did a, an EP after this called Creative Eclipses, which had kind of a weird like space rock sort of thing going on. And then they went further in that direction with the follow-up Jupiter. And then they signed to a major label and they put out uh, basically what was a alternative rock record um, and a fairly mainstream sounding um, alternative rock record. And even like went on tour with the Foo Fighters and played Lollapalooza only to get dropped by their label a year later. And then after that, they went back to playing metal. But the metal that they played after that wasn't nearly as intense while it was still good. I wouldn't say it was nearly as intense as this record. One of the things that really blows my mind about this record to this day is the fact that these cave-in was only like seven, uh, maybe they weren't 17, but they were like just out of high school when they recorded this record. And I mean, it just sounds fucking bananas. Um, it's, uh, for me, it's one of like, I don't really like, I mean, I like metal, but you know, when it comes to like technical metal, sometimes I can just sort of take it or leave it. Like I do like a lot of like technical stuff, something like death, for instance, I like a lot of that kind of stuff. Um, and of course, you know, I like stuff that's really crazy, like the Dillinger escape plan and things like that. Um, but, um, I feel like this record was just kind of the perfect combination of death metal, uh, metal core, um, hardcore punk. And then also it had elements of even like ambient electronic music, like the last track, uh, you know, ends with this like really, really long drawn out ambient piece. And there's these little like, um, sort of segues in the record. Um, as a matter of fact, this record has been described as okay. Computer meets Slayer, which I think is actually like, you know, a pretty, um, spot on description really. Um, and they made a record in a genre that I don't, you know, I don't really listen to a lot of like a lot of metal like this. Uh, but for some reason, this record just completely stands out for me. Um, and, uh, I've loved it ever since I heard it the first time. And, uh, when I picked this record, uh, this week, uh, it was because I revisited it and it just, it still holds up for me. Um, excellent mm -hmm. record. Probably my favorite track on it is juggernaut. Uh, it's just a beast of a song. I mean, if you're into metal, um, but also metal that kind of has like a, um, spacey side to it. I mean, this is the record for you. And I mean, in that sense, you could almost compare it a little bit to something like Voivod, because obviously Voivod wrote a lot of, um, a lot of science fiction related lyrics and things like that. But at the same time, it doesn't sound like Voivod at all. Um, it's definitely a lot heavier than that. Uh, but yeah, this is this is a record um, in a genre that just totally stands out for me that otherwise uh, 
this type of genre is generally just boring to me. Um, and th- you know, this is one of a handful of records in the middle co- metal core genre that just, I absolutely love. Um, what did you think, Eric? Yeah, I, um, <clears throat> excuse me, have never listened to cave in ever. I, it's a name I've heard. Um, probably because they, you know, like you said, did become a little more mainstream and well-known. So, um, but I also feel like I sort of remembered it from basically that hardcore time period, uh, in the late nineties, early two thousands that I is, uh, one of my musical blind spots. I don't unfortunately know very much about it. Um, and so, I yeah I would say that just upon hearing this I would I would think that this is like hardcore but uh, I definitely see that it's metal like honestly if in 1999 when this came out if someone would have said to me hey you like thrash right I'd be like yeah but it doesn't exist anymore someone could have been like hey check out this cave in like it kind of bums me out that I didn't realize that thrash metal did continue after the time period that I was into it. It reminds me of um, the hard times. They had a, a headline once that said, uh, man insists scene died when he stopped going to shows. And I always, yeah, I always reference that. that because that's how everyone feels. But like for real, I didn't know thrash existed after 1990 at the very latest. So I probably would have been into this if I didn't think, it was something else. You know, I've talked about that before where like what you think, you know, about something can stand in the way of you actually enjoying something. And I think this falls into that for me. Like if I had known what this actually sounded like, I probably would have been pretty into it. Um, But with that being said, it was super energetic. Um, It's almost upbeat if it wasn't so viciously angry. Um, right. You know, it's a lot of fun, though. Like, it's heavy and strange. And there's these long noise interludes that are really cool. Um, but it's not just filler. They use it in the songs, too. And I just can't imagine how fun and insanely difficult it would have been to play in a band like this. Like, just so much fun. You listen to the guitar parts and it's seriously someone just doing pull-offs down the whole neck like most of the songs are you know just nonsense but precise and it's it it's really cool i i I enjoyed it a lot i like i said i wish i would have uh listened to this earlier and with your recommendation this might be the only one by this group i listened to i don't know maybe the one before it you said or I would, I would after or highly suggest, I would highly suggest, I'm sorry if I made it sound, uh, like the direction they went into after this, Mm -hmm. I'm sorry if I made it sound like you shouldn't check it out. No, I highly suggest you check out the creative eclipses EP Mm -hmm. and the Jupiter album. Okay. And I like antenna, which is the major label record where they went into more of a mainstream, but I could see also where um, certain, you know, I I could see where people didn't like it. They actually got a lot of shit for that record. 
I think what it was was a much better version of modern rock radio at that time. Okay. Basically. Mm -hmm. But they still had elements of something like Jupiter. Um, Mm -hmm. It's amazing the direction. Like, seriously, Jupiter, creative eclipses, from until your heart stops to creative eclipses Mm -hmm. to Jupiter, doesn't even sound like the same band. I kid you not. It's insane. But then they went back to... um, uh, sort of the metal sound on the mm-hmm. follow-up uh, called Perfect Pitch Black. And mm-hmm. then they also put out an EP called Planets of Old. And then the last, well, no, not the last. They put out a record called White Silence. And then the last record they put out was called Final Transmission. Um, the uh, One of the main members of the band, Caleb Schofield, died mm-hmm. in a car accident. Oh, okay. So that mm-hmm. was the last record that, he was on and before he died and they just released it in 2019 or something like that. Mm -hmm. But that, that guitar playing you were describing, (laughs) um, that that's just the magic of Steven Brodsky and Caleb, uh, Schofield. They're Mm. there. They were just genius guitar players at the age of like eight. Like I said, until your heart stops was done when they were like, Hmm. probably just fresh out of high school. Wow. I know that like beyond hypothermia uh, before that mm-hmm. um, they were like, I think like at least one or two of the songs mm-hmm. um, from one of the, like their first single, I think they were 15 years old or wow. something and like 95. So to think nice. that they were putting together an album as precise and as nuts and mm-hmm. as technically proficient as until your heart stops when they were 18 or 19 it's just it's otherworldly as far as I'm concerned. Nice. Yeah, and they they actually formed the band uh, because they wanted to sound like they they basically wanted to achieve the same type of intensity that Converge yeah. had. Like Converge was yeah. one of their big influences. That's that's the kind of stuff that um, I thought this sounded like. Uh, like I said, yeah. that's a big blind spot for me, but tons of people i hang out with like that's their music coalesce yeah torch converge all that stuff and i only ever listen to like the whinier side of that maybe (laughs) or like far and quicksand and things like that well maybe that's not whinier but it's you mentioned you mentioned torch yeah that's Mm. exactly what torch is like yeah it's like far and quicksand type oh okay stuff. well maybe i'll check them out too but yeah. i have a lot of stuff to catch up on i mean always we all do but i just had this blind spot i think i was listening to a lot of uh new wave and electronic music at that time and sure. just sort of missed it so well it's yeah. it's weird for me uh real quick before we move on um it's mm-hmm. weird for me too uh, it's interesting you mentioned that because I was really digging this album at a time when I really wasn't listening to a lot of metal myself. Mm, like okay. it's, it's weird. Like cave, like cave just happened to be like, there was like, a, I mean, obviously I dug Dillinger because they opened up for Mr. Bungle, mm-hmm, right. but I mean, even calculating infinity from Dillinger didn't, mm-hmm. didn't affect me the way that this record did. Like it's, yeah. it's just really weird. Like I wasn't, you know, I wasn't a metal head, mm-hmm. but for some reason, cave in until your heart stops just totally like, I don't know. It was like the lone, like technical metal mm-hmm. CD 
metal hardcore CD that was in my collection. Yeah, I I really liked it. I think it just had a nice energy to it, and they took a lot of risks, you know, musically. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, good stuff, for sure. Cool, cool. All right, all right. So, what do you got uh, from here? My first one. Let's go with the Chromatics. Okay, so I forgot to mention to Dan that they re-released this record. It's called Kill for Love. Uh, It was released in 2012, but there was a deluxe version on Spotify that's like has a ton of instrumental versions and stuff. I forgot to mention that I was not talking about that deluxe version. So, okay, how many? I don't think I listened to the deluxe version. Okay, yeah, because the real version is already like an hour and 17 minutes long. Yeah, I was going to say it was really long. I remember that. So, and I'm sorry I keep doing that to you. I really don't mean to. I'll pick some short stuff soon, I promise. It's okay, dude. It's okay. But, uh, yeah, the Chromatics. um, I first became aware of the Chromatics uh, because of the show Twin Peaks. Uh, In Twin Peaks The Return, there's a lot of lame stuff that happens. There's a lot of really funny stuff that happens, a lot of cool stuff. Um, And so if you like Twin Peaks, I would suggest you see it. Um, If you love twin peaks i would suggest you don't see it no i'm just kidding um but uh anyway one of the best parts of the return was that they had um groups come and play at the roadhouse which is a beloved locale in twin peaks and they had a lot of really cool groups of uh, stuff that was relatively uh, not well known like uh the cactus blossoms were on there whom i love um, the chromatics. Um, but then they also had like Eddie Vedder performing under his own name instead of Eddie Vedder or, uh, nine inch nails, which are introduced as the nine inch nails, which is really funny. But, um, so (laughs) anyway, that's one of the best parts of twin peaks, the return. Okay. Chromatics, um, fit in really well with that atmosphere. Um, they are from Portland. They had a lot of different lineups um, before they kind of really coalesced and found their sound. And that was when a singer named Ruth Radelit joined um, and was on vocals. And a, a fella named Johnny Jewell, who basically owns the sound of the Chromatics. He also has bands called Glass Candy, Desire, Symmetry. They all have very similar tight synth, kind of like synth wave stuff kind of like john carpenter-esque a lot of um arpeggiated synths and things like that um but the chromatics um add in like twangy guitars and this really ethereal vocal style um it's i would say it's in the vein of stuff uh, really chill stuff like washed out or cigarettes after sex but also it's like i said really a lot of twang guitars a lot of atmospheric moments, cinematic, I would even say, um, but very full of synths and not not washy synths, like real punchy, real synths. Um, I would say that it also has maybe some feel like the knife or the blow in elements of those. So if you like any of that stuff I just mentioned, I think you would like the chromatics. Uh, this record is pretty long. Uh, like we just mentioned, they do have shorter ones. The two albums before this are also 
really killer. I just think that they have a nice immersive kind of cool world that they create and you just get to kind of fall into it. And um, at times it can seem really um, uh, normal sounding at other times. It's really noisy and strange. Uh, but I think, I think it's really cool and it, it it's very effective. It does exactly what it sets out to do. And on a personal level, they were a, a really big influence on the music that I make um, because they already had a lot of elements I already use, but they were, it, it just gave me the confidence to be like, you know, I do like twangy guitars and synth. And if songs are extremely long and slow, like that's an acceptable form of songwriting, you know? And so, like I said, on a personal level, I, I, I take a lot from them as well. So, uh, yeah, with that being said, I don't know. What'd you think, Dan? <laughs> I really enjoyed this. Um, it's, uh, it's, uh, interesting because for some reason I was under the impression that the chromatics were like a, uh, almost like a, like a no wave dance band or something. Mm -hmm. I don't know why I thought that, uh, there's, I think there might be another band with a similar name that kind of falls into that category. So it threw me off when mm. I put this on, gotcha. um, you know, cause I thought, well, wow, this is totally not that. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, there there's, it's, it's a really, really nice soothing sound. I definitely hear the twin peaks vibe for sure. Mm. Um, there's times where like the guitars are very heavily, drenched in reverb mm -hmm. and then other times as you said where it just sort of sounds like normal like kind of like mm -hmm. just a like a folk song or something you know what mm -hmm. i mean and uh there's times where it reminds me of something like pj harvey or mm -hmm. um something like uh belly or i don't know you remember the band lush yeah um mm -hmm. you know stuff like that then there's other times where it reminds me of um Oh, I don't know. Elliot Smith mm -hmm. or um, even like it gets to like almost like modest mouse territory at sure. times. Yeah. You know, and things like that. Um, I really like the songwriting on it. Um, I, this is one of those albums where I don't think the length um, hindered it at all. I mm -hmm. think that um, it actually was just really, I mean, just sitting down and listening like it, I almost... I, it, it just became more and more interesting as time went on, mm -hmm. you know? Um, yeah. I think the songwriting's great. Um, excellent singing. Excellent. I mean, I, there's not really much else I can, I can add to it. Uh, has a very haunting vibe to mm -hmm. it, which I appreciate. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it great pick. I'm, I'm glad you picked cool. this one, Eric. All right. Nice. What's your next one? So my next one is from this group called King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard. And the name of this record is Flying Microtonal Banana. And uh, so King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard are a band that uh, has kind of been on my radar for a while. Mm -hmm. I've There's been a lot of hype kind of surrounding them, which in some ways has kind of turned me off from them. Mm -hmm. um, but I uh, started listening to their discography on Spotify. And, um, 
I think they formed in 2011 and they've already put out like 13 albums. <laughs> and in fact, this record came out in 2017. I believe that this was the first. Yeah, this was the first of five records they released that year. <laughs> um, so they're very prolific, like extremely prolific. And if you go back and listen to King Gizzard's um, discography, I think I've only gotten like as far as to probably like the seventh or eighth record so far. Mm -hmm. um, I'm listening to them actually in order. Um, and I mean, I could have picked like three or four of their records. There's this one called Nanagon Infinity, which is actually meant to play like front to back, front to back. And the reason why they call, they put infinity in the title is it's designed to actually play forever if you want it to hmm. like front to back, front to back. And the songs are like, they kind of just like, I don't know, they seep into each other and hmm. it's like, so it almost becomes like one long song, which kind of almost all of their records mm -hmm. kind of head in that direction. This one being kind of no different. Um, Seems like the uh, the main dude, I mean, I think they have like nine members or something. Like there's a mm. lot of people in this band and they're from Australia. They're labeled as a psychedelic rock band, but really they've done so many things. They actually, in 2019, they released a straight up thrash metal record. Mm. And when I say thrash metal, I mean, it sounds like Anthrax or Exodus. Mm. Like it's, you know, it sounds wow. like it's from the 80s. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, straight up. And it's actually their most normal record, <laughs> like 100%. Um, but uh, I could have picked like three or f I could have picked that one, Nanagon Infinity, because that one blew my mind. Hmm. And then the record that that one came out right before this one. And then the one after it, Murder of the Universe, is f amazing as hmm. well. Um, every record I've really liked. What's interesting about this record is the reason why it's called Flying Microtonal Banana. And I'm going to make a full disclosure here. I'm actually reading this off of Wikipedia because there's no way I could have memorized all this. But the album is subtitled Explorations into Microtonal Tuning, Volume 1. Hmm. So that's the subtitle of it, which I didn't know there was a subtitle. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the album is recorded in quarter tone tuning where an octave is divided into 24 logarithmically equal distanced quarter notes. It was originally conceived to play on a boglama. Do you know what a boglama is, Eric? I'm not sure. No, I'm not either, but I'm going to click on it since I'm on Wikipedia and we're going to discover what a boglama is together. Hmm, looks like the a boglama or something. Yeah, it's, Let's see. A stringed musical instrument. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think it's Turkish. Mm -hmm. Like, it, yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's a Turkish instrument. So, oh, yeah, it's this, like a this bazooki. Whole... That's it. Yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> I thought you were going to say bazooka. Yeah. Um, old bazooki Joe. <laughs> bazooki Joe. <laughs> Welcome back, Joe. You remember that? Oh, from yeah. Atomizer on Big I Black. Do. Welcome back, Joe. That's a good one. Um, so, yeah, so that's interesting <clears throat> that. It was originally conceived to play on that. The band members used instruments specifically modified for microtonal tuning, as well as other Middle Eastern instruments like the Zerna. 
The name Flying Microtonal Banana comes from Stu McKenzie's custom-built yellow guitar fitted with an additional microtonal fret. Hmm. Or fitted with additional microtonal frets. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. Uh, anyway, yeah, this this record and uh, like I said, every record from King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard is honestly like different. Hmm. Like it's crazy. And the thing is, is like, again, you know how it goes when like things kind of get really hyped up and mm -hmm. popular and, you know, it, it can it can turn you off sometimes. And so I mm -hmm. just never really believe people when they say that about things sometimes you know what i mean like mm -hmm. and unfortunately um well fortunately i decided to actually give them a try and i gotta say man they really are insane like they really are just like yeah crazy like i love this record but i love every other record and uh yeah i mean there's elements of kraut uh kraut rock there's mm -hmm. elements of sort of like weird synthesizer rock there's elements of prog rock sometimes they sound like rush sometimes mm -hmm. they sound like new or mm -hmm. you know something along those lines or can other times i mean they sound like almost like something along trans am or something mm -hmm. like that i mean it's just I thought it, I, you know, th this is just a really interesting, interesting album. And like I said, I could have picked any King Gizzard record mm -hmm. and I probably would have just said the same thing because mm -hmm. they're a band that I literally cannot figure out and mm -hmm. I love it. Nice. I love it. Uh, what did you think, Eric? Yeah. So uh, my friend Nick um, has been telling me about King Gizzard for years. I mean, all the time. And Nick is the one that also told me to listen to uh, Caleb Landry Jones. So I need to yeah. really start believing Nick when he tells me to listen to something. Cause I thought this was really good. I, it wasn't yeah. what I expected. Um, I had almost the same notes as you did. I had, there is a, what I literally wrote was it's very stonerish and fuzzy and heavy like some neo psych rock, like mm -hmm. Denava or Assemblehead and Sunburst Sound. It has that feel to it, but it's also really tight and angular and new wavy, like Trans Am or even Devo. And I said a lot of the main sections of the songs are super kraut rockish, like Can or Hawkwind, very motoric uh, drum sections. And, um, yeah, I really, I, I was really kind of blown away by it. It went a lot of places, but it also just stayed where it was. It was locked in. Like every song, there's not a lot of yeah. mystery of what's going to happen until it does. And what I mean yes, by that is exactly. like the verse part of the song is just going to go and they're going to say some stuff. But then it just goes crazy and goes into... Yeah, like almost like uh, Turkish or Middle Eastern kind of modes and um, scales. And that sounds like that might be a little more specific to this record. But um, uh, yeah, I I really can't wait to listen to more of this. And I also think that two things for me worked against it. And that was everyone telling me I should listen to it. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, that a lot of times makes me not listen to something. And I just thought the name was silly. And I usually don't care. 
I am for real. I usually do not care yeah, what yeah. a band is called, but every once in a while I'll read a band name and just be like, no, I don't come on. Yes. And so I feel bad about that. But let me say, if you are like cigarettes after sex, a band that I just mentioned with the chromatics, that's another band where I'm like, come on. Why? That's the worst crappiest band name of all time. Right. But I love them. I, they are one of my favorite things. And so I just got to get over it because like how many band yeah. names are there, you know, and who really cares? So, but yeah, those are two things that held me back. And I wish I wouldn't have let them hold me back because this is, it's really good stuff. So yeah. The, uh, like uh, another thing I'd like to add is that a lot of this band seems to really appeal to a lot of the fans of the garage psych scene mm-hmm. for obvious reasons. And so I guess I just kind of thought, cause their first album is pretty that scene. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Their very first album sounds, sounds like it, you know, uh, something that came out of like the Memphis garage scene or the Detroit garage mm. scene kind of, Gotcha. you know, a little bit, a little bit. They're mm-hmm. still, you know, but they didn't really start. I feel like getting into their weirdness mm-hmm. until like the second record which was actually like a storybook hmm. narrated by somebody. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's their second record. And it's just like, after that, it's like, it's almost like everything was just possible for this band. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of turned me off for a little bit too. Cause gotcha. I was like, I don't need to hear another site garage band. There's millions of mm-hmm. them. You know what I mean? Like, not that I hate that scene or anything, but I mean, it's like, after you hear Jay Riotard and Ty Seagull, it's like you can only take like so many mm-hmm. copies of that sort of sound, you know? For sure. Yep. And so, but really, even even that first record though is still something that is actually totally unique. Mm. Like, but after hearing it, I'm like, wow, this is actually like completely different. And I don't understand why this seems to appeal to fans of the psych garage thing mm-hmm. so much, but it does. And this is something that also I think could appeal to people who are into stuff like trans am and Devo. As I think so too. Know? Yeah. And I'm sure we'll talk about them more in the future, maybe even do a record review. Um, yeah. But if you like King Gizzard, you really should check out Nick, the guy that told me about King Gizzard, his band uh, land of blood and sunshine. I think. Oh yeah, I've, I've listened. I don't know if they're if I would say they're similar, but I think that they uh, use a lot of the same ideas from what I've heard sure. from this. So I've uh, I've actually seen them play live a couple. Oh of yeah, times. yeah, they're they're, they're awesome. So yeah, absolutely nice. Okay, so uh, moving on to your next juicy pick. Yeah. Here. All right. So Zonal is the name of the band. Z O N A L. The record is called Wrecked, and it came out in 2019. Um, so unbeknownst to me, this is sort of a super group. I, like, I uh, asked some of my friends for uh, things like grimy dub stuff, because that's what I was really into. And someone said, oh, man, you got to check out Zonal. You'll love them. And they were right. But uh, it's Justin Broderick from Jesu and Godflesh. It's Kevin Martin, also known as The Bug, who apparently I have to mention every single episode now because I'm just <laughs> obsessed yeah. or dubsessed, as it were. 
And uh, then there's a vocalist named Kamei Aiwa, who goes by More Mother. Um, and she does vocals on like half of the tracks. Um, more Mother is really cool. I need to check it out more. But uh, from what I've listened to so far, I, I'm really stoked. And I think they came here to Iowa City a couple of years ago for our Mission Creek Festival. And I think I didn't get to go because I was playing or maybe I just didn't go because I'm dumb. But either way, I regret it now. Um, and so, yeah, that's a pretty good group of people. You know, the bug, Godflesh, more mother all together. So that's a pretty cool thing. I would say overall, the record is just really cool, atmospheric, grime, dub. Um, and then more mother had some really uh, just cool and strange vocals. I, I wouldn't say they're hip hop vocals or rapping. I wouldn't say that they're soul singing either. It's, and I wouldn't, it's not even like spoken word. It's like somewhere in between all those things. Um, and so if you're a fan of any of those things, I think you'll dig this. This might be one of those records though. I have to admit, like I talked about last week when we had Sean Reed on, I listen to a lot of this kind of music in my car because I love bass. And so I don't know if that translates to headphones or uh, computer speakers as much. And so I think a lot of that might get lost if you're not listening to it on something with, you know, a little bit of bass. So if someone said, I don't get it, it's super boring. You know, I might say, well, try it with a subwoofer. (laughs) But anyway, uh, the only thing I really didn't care for about this record is the first half of the songs have more mother doing vocals on them. And then the second half of the record don't. And so it's like, it kind of just falls into sort of just atmospheric dub stuff after you've kind of been jazzed up about having some vocals on there and almost like song parts or whatever, something to grab onto. And so I'm not sure why they split it directly in half like that. I probably would have, you know, mixed them throughout and maybe had a more well-rounded record, but you know, they're, uh, hella more successful than I will ever be. So I'm not going to question their judgment or say I know better. Um, but yeah, I, I thought it was a, a really cool, heavy, uh, atmospheric record. what do you think, Dan? Yeah, I, th- I thought this was really cool. Um, it's interesting too, because you would just, you were just talking about the bug mm-hmm. and I was like, who the hell's the bug? And then like, I, uh, you send me this and I'm like, Oh, well the bug is in this group. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'm like, wait a minute, Justin Broderick. Yeah. From Godflesh. <laughs> I was like, wow. And then, then I listened to the first track mm-hmm. and yeah, it's like this weird, like spoken word mm-hmm. kind of like you said, sort of between hip hop and somewhere between hip hop and spoken word. Mm-hmm. Like it's not really one or the other, but like, there's this like really weird, just brooding music mm-hmm. kind of going on in the background that almost reminds me of like, I don't know, like a science fiction score or mm-hmm. something, you know, like really grimy and really just dark sounding. And which, I mean, 
everything with Justin Broderick usually mm-hmm. is to a certain extent, you know? Um, but it's, uh, uh, yeah, I, I kind of agree with your, uh, slight criticism of, uh, you know, the, the first half being with more mother and then the second half, not it, it almost, cause I was actually going to say it almost felt like two separate EPs mm-hmm. on right. one record. And you know, that's, that's cool. Like you said, you know, uh, you know, they, they did, they do what they want. <laughs> and so they're, must have been a purpose or maybe there wasn't a purpose mm-hmm. for it. I mean, who knows? Not everything has to have a purpose, you know? Right. It could have just been, you know, that's just what they wanted to do with it. Um, but I actually really enjoyed the second half mm-hmm. myself. Um, I kind of liked the separation of the two worlds. Mm-hmm. Like it wasn't too much different. The only real difference, let's be real, is that, the first half just happened to have more mother on it, mm-hmm, you know, sure. and, I, and I actually liked the second track, which seemed to be constantly over and over again, referencing bullet with butterfly wings. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that you was know, just kind Cage. of like a poet taking some lines that they appreciated as sort of iconic poetry, you know? Right. Exactly. Exactly. And I like her take on it. Mm-hmm. I like the way that for sure. She twisted it and spend it. Mm-hmm. Uh, spend. Did I say, is that even like, yeah, spend is, is that even a word? Yeah, I think so. I don't know. I, I, or it I might forget. be spun. I don't know. So, yeah, spun. Or, or, that's or spund. Yeah. <laughs> spend. <laughs> like, I just totally like, sometimes I just forget how to talk. Yeah, wow. Well. You know? Um, <laughs> but um, it's fantastic. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, Again, though, one thing I'll say about this, it's I kind of have the same sort of view um, that I that I would have uh, with, you know, like the dubby sort of stuff like this. Mm -hmm. Like, I guess it's not something that you would find in my CD player Mm -hmm. or on my turntable often, but it's definitely something that I would come back to. And I probably will come back to this record mm-hmm. um, when I'm in the mood for it. Right. You know what I mean? It's it's total mood music for me. It's like, you know, like I, I feel like there would just have to be a certain occasion, whether that would be like cleaning the house, whether that would be just I need to zone out in the dark mm-hmm. in my room and put on headphones and listen to something like this. For sure. It's good for um, deep chills. Yeah, that's for sure. Exactly. Exactly. It's a, it's chill music for me. So it's not something that you're going to, you you know, like I'm not going to be driving in my van, mm-hmm. you know, like listening to it probably or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It's definitely just a, but it's, it's a great record. And I, I respect anything that Justin Broderick touches. Yeah. Nice. And uh, I also am going to check out, some of the Bugs solo albums because after you and Sean were talking about him last week, yeah, I feel like I need to check him out. I also did not realize, and I think I texted you this, that he was part of techno animal. Right. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't realize that either. I, my only experience with, uh, Kevin Martin, is that his name? Yeah. was with the bug. Yeah. So, um, I'm only now finding out about all this other, other stuff that he's involved in. So that's cool. I, I love to have new things to check out. 
<laughs> so yeah, and 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 I only remember Techno Animal because they were affiliated with Ipecac oh, somehow. Right. Okay. And I don't remember how, but I think Techno Animal was actually just Zonal because I think yeah, I think, I think it's Techno Justin Animal Broderick was, as well, right? It's it's Justin Broderick yeah. and the Bug. Yeah, I think is all Techno Animal. Well, not all Techno, but I think it's right. Zonal must have just been them with a name change or something. Yeah, I don't know. Or, or whatever. I, who knows? Yeah, it, it, it is really weird. But apparently the bug has put out so many records under different aliases. Oh, yeah. And different names and different projects mm-hmm. that uh, Wikipedia only has a partial discography list. <laughs> nice. So yeah. I would say both <laughs> Pressure crazy. and London Zoo are just killer records. I mean, they they are... They are dub. I feel like we have focused on dub, and I, that's probably partially my fault. I just, um, it's one of the things that has really kind of taken over my music listening in the last few years. So um, I would say between dub and the chill stuff, like I mentioned earlier with the chromatics, that has been a huge part of what I listen to for the last few years is just those two styles. So. Yeah, I'm trying to break out of it, but you know, you know I, you I swear to I'll to listen to something with guitars at some point. I promise. <laughs> you, know, you know what you need to say to the dub? What's that? Get out of here! <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Just say no to dubs. <laughs> just and say no to dubs. Uh, well, I don't know. Uh, you've listened to Cave In until your heart stops. Yeah. And- King Gizzard and mm-hmm. Lizard World, uh, Lizard World. Oh man, Lizard Wizard, <laughs> and they both had guitars. That's true. Distorted guitars at times. <laughs> Distorted yeah. guitars, yeah, at times. Yep. Well, until your heart stops, pretty much all yeah. the time. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> but um, Lizard World sounds like a cool place to visit. I wonder if it exists. It's right next to Robot World <laughs> in Wisconsin. <laughs> The robots and lizards are always fighting oh one another. Gosh. They're like arch enemies. So are they just tiny robots or giant lizards? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe hmm. they're tiny lizards and giant robots. Oh, well, but that wouldn't really be no, fair. No because... challenge there. Yeah, no, yeah, because robots seem like they could defend themselves no matter what size they are. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you know, because, well, <laughs> with robot and technology... It seems like they can always invent some way to grow bigger if they need to. Hmm. But yeah. lizards don't really have that capability. No, but so, yeah. they can regenerate limbs. So that's true. Maybe we could use that somehow to have them grow bigger. <laughs> yeah, maybe we, we could. could. Uh, yeah, we could change their DNA so that if we chop their arm off. It comes back bigger, and then we just have to chop all their limbs off, and then they'd be really big. No, I don't know. I'll work on it before next week's episode. Yeah, in my uh, lizard lab. We're gonna we're gonna be scientists by then. So. I already got a bunch of chopped up lizards in my in my uh, workshop, so I'll, I'll work on it. The name of this. Uh, the name of the next episode, Science World with Eric. <laughs> oh, God. Yep. It's it's mostly about chopping up lizards. <laughs> We're going to be experts. <laughs> That's going to be awesome. Oh. I've always wanted to be an expert. <laughs> On that or just anything? Is, 
<laughs> if anyone's hiring experts, let me know. I have yeah. the qualifications. <laughs> I'll just become an expert on whatever you need. <laughs> just let me know. What? Give me a month. That would be the funniest, <laughs> uh, like hiring advertisement. Like now hiring experts. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's just a bunch of old white dudes like me yeah (laughs) mansplaining shit we're experts yeah they think they're experts on everything so (laughs) dude that that would be amazing we should uh look into that for sure um but uh anyway uh yeah so you can actually follow us on Instagram now, yeah. well, you always have been able to. Uh, Dan underscore the underscore ruler and also old man Erie. But now you can also follow us on Accelerative Thrust. Yep. Actually, is it is the name of it Accelerative dot thrust? Yeah. yeah, that's what you so search and find it on Instagram under all underscore. So we have an Instagram page, an official Accelerative Thrust Instagram mm-hmm. page. Isn't that awesome, guys? Yay. <laughs> that was just me. <laughs> like, like, I'm asking, yeah. like, asking people to There respond. wasn't another listener in the back of your car right now who said that. <laughs> that sounds great, Somebody's Dad. like, wait, who said that? <laughs> Where'd that come from? Oh, boy. Um, but, yeah. But, um, yeah. So, you got that. And, yeah, we got a lot of things planned. Uh we're super stoked for yeah. next week uh, and next month. Uh-huh. And there's a, we, we got some guests coming on that uh, are going to uh, be really, really fun. Yeah. Um, because we're a fun podcast. Yep, that's what we're here for. And so, yeah, we're here for fun. And it's the Nothing only else. thing we accomplish. That's, that's all we <laughs> it's do. It's us is fun, having fun. Ladies and gentlemen. I'm not saying you're going to have fun as a listener. Yeah. <laughs> But I, you know, but we're uh, not pretending to have fun right now. I don't do that. Just for the record, this is legit. Yeah, this is real laughter, guys. <laughs> we should start a secondary podcast where we're just totally stoic and serious <laughs> yeah. all the time, and we should call it the Enough Screwing Around yeah. Podcast. Yeah, That's, <laughs> get to work. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. Do I pay you just to sit there and eat popcorn? Yeah. <laughs> oh, jeez. Uh, also, Dan has a new music video out. Oh, yes. Yeah, do you yes, want to tell him how to find that? Because I'm not good at stuff like YouTube. Well, the best, <laughs> <laughs> the best way, the best two ways, because I, there's no way I'm going to memorize the YouTube <laughs> link, um, is to go to my personal Instagram, Dan underscore the underscore ruler, mm-hmm. and go into the bio there and click go. on the link tree. Yeah. Or you can go to YouTube and just simply type in the Outer Head Lunatics. Mm. So the Outer Head is uh, my solo project mm-hmm. that I've had since 2010-ish, maybe. So it's been 10 or 11 years. Uh, and uh, there for a long time, it basically was non-existent. <laughs> but I started putting out some more stuff because I learned that I can just record things lo-fi to the best of my abilities in my bedroom yeah and it turns out pretty cool sounding actually in my opinion yeah i think it sounds Um, great yeah thank you Mm -hmm. thank you and so 
yeah, uh, you could go uh, type in the Outer Head Lunatics, and it might actually bring up all the other videos that I uploaded under the Outer Head YouTube channel. Ah. And then I got an EP coming mm-hmm. as well. Uh, that's going to come out on April 2nd, which I actually found out is Bandcamp Friday. the next Bandcamp Friday. Yeah. So, which I actually, that wasn't intentional, but that's kind of cool that it's dropping nice. on Bandcamp Friday. Um, and uh, that EP is also called Lunatics. So, yeah, be on the lookout for that, cool. ladies and gentlemen. And, you know, it, it will be, um, should be fun. Um, so yeah, um, I'm excited about it. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) I like the first, uh, single lunatics. Well, good stuff. I appreciate, I appreciate it, Eric. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is, uh, there's also no guitars on this one. (laughs) Yeah. So there's usually guitars on my stuff. (laughs) We've heard all the guitars. I mean, come on. Yeah. There's a. Yeah, guitars. Uh, they uh they've overstayed their welcome yeah. in rock music. <laughs> no. But I'll I'll, go, I'll I'll get back to guitars. Yeah, it, it, it's, the it's, guitar it's so bug funny. bit it's, me again. So It's it's so funny that that um that quote came from me when I recommended Caven until your heart stops. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like No, it comes uh, and goes geez. though. I spent a solid I don't even know 5 years just like looking at my guitars and then all of a sudden it was like <laughs> now i just kind of look at my synths and i play the guitars so it goes back and forth you know just sure yeah as it should mm-hmm. it should yeah all right folks i think that'll wrap up uh this week's podcast uh you have any closing arguments <laughs> arguments no but yeah uh, okay. you guys should re- check the accelerative thrust uh instagram i think I think we'll both be uh, more apt to post more fun things, you know, on a on a uh, an account that's dedicated to just this. So I think you'll see a lot more fun stuff than just us every week saying there's a new episode, you know. Yeah. So and that but that that'll probably also be, um, you know, uh, where we will post like updates mm -hmm. on, you know, new episodes and our personal accounts. Yeah. You know, so it'll be all over. Yeah. We're going to we're going to take over the world. So <laughs> that's our plan. Well, yeah. OK, I'm, I don't know if we discussed that, but uh, we, we can we can take we over can? the world. It's cool. Yeah, you must have just forgotten there. <laughs> oh, that happens. <laughs> uh, OK, sorry about that. I guess the uh, um, mutagen worked too well. <laughs> anyway. All right. <laughs> Uh, okay. Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we better, uh, get going before the authorities catch us for real. Uh, see you guys later. Bye. Bye.